Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighter's Fury inside the heart of a champion with your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighter's Fury on AM790 The Ticket. And a good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. Fighter's Fury here on 790 The Ticket. We have a packed slate to get to after yesterday's action. A ton of stuff going on, basically from 5 in the afternoon all the way till 2 in the morning yesterday. It was nonstop with the boxing, Tyson Fury's return, Terrence Crawford versus Jeff Horn, Leo Santa Cruz, Abner Mars to mixed martial arts. A really, really great card. UFC 225 was fantastic all the way from the uh, fight pass prelims through the main card last night. And this was a card that was stacked full of decisions. A lot of card, a lot of fights that went the distance. The entire main card went to the judges' scorecards, which obviously is going to lead to a lot of controversy. Um, but for a card that did not have a ton of finishes, especially with the big ones, I thought it was a fantastic night of fights. I thought it was, I thought it was outstanding. We came away with it with some new faces. Uh, a top divisions. We came across from it with um, arguable fight of the year candidates. Definitely just an epic, epic champ. Um, just an epic, epic main event last night between Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero. Very controversial. The, the, uh, the decision, a lot of people think that at best it should have been a draw. A lot of people think that Yoel Romero got screwed yesterday. Uh, Robert Whitaker ends up getting his hand raised which in the situation we were in, because Joel Romero wasn't able to make weight, that he was two ounces over the championship weight of 185, it was a little bit unfulfilling that we weren't going to get a conclusion one way or another of who was the true champion, who was uh, the top guy. Because if y'all would have ended up winning this fight, you know, that was the big concern. We were, we were sitting in this, this weird pocket. Yoel doesn't make weight on Friday. Uh, for those who, who are unaware, he comes in and he's at 186. They give him an additional two hours. According to him, the commission stopped him midway through his allotted time to cut weight and ends up being 185.2. Dana White backed up this story yesterday. If that's the case, it's a complete disgrace from the Illinois State Athletic Commission doing that to Yoel Romero. What's the point of having the two-hour allotment if you're not going to let him do it to the fullest. And so that was a bummer to hear that he didn't miss weight that way. But he also has to take some accountability. This is two fights in a row now where Yoel Romero has been playing with fire. The last time against Luke Rockhold, a lot of people gave him a pass because he took that fight on short notice, came in even heavier this week, and wasn't able to make weight. And I love Yoel Romero. He's, he's one of my favorite fighters on the roster. He trains down here. He represents Miami. So, you know, it, it really was a, it was a heartbreaker as a fan to not see him make that weight because I wanted to see if he could get this win against Robert Whitaker, get himself gold, and see if we could eventually get something hosted down here as far as the UFC pay-per-view is concerned down in South Florida, especially in Miami, which we haven't had in, in, in a long, long time. 
So he doesn't make the weight. A lot of questions throughout the 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 weekend if whether or not this is going the fight's going to be on. Um, if it's going to be a three rounder, is Robert Whitaker going to walk away? Is Joel Romero going to even want to fight if it's not for the title? They eventually settle on the twenty percent purse, and Robert Whitaker uh, Robert Whitaker doesn't put his belt on the line. There is no belt on the line, and so we get to last night. Now, Yoel came out a lot slower in this fight than he did in the first matchup. In the first matchup, he was the one who got out to the big head of steam, whereas Robert Whitaker was the one who really rallied and rallied with a, with a bad knee injury. In this fight, uh, Whitaker got out to the fast start. He really was pretty much hitting a, uh, a sitting target in Yoel. Yoel was, was really, really letting Robert get his offense off. Not a lot of return fire. Maybe once in a while showing some movement, but he was allowing the champ to, to do work on him. We get to the third round. This was the clear shift in the fight. Y'all really starts doing damage on Robert Whitaker. Also in the midst of this, Robert Whitaker hurts his hand. You can start noticing that he's not throwing his right hand, and Yoel absolutely cleans them up. Looks like he's going to finish the fight at one point. Anytime Yoel touched Robert Whitaker, this fight had a possibility of being over. That's the kind of power that Yoel was hitting him with. He reportedly came into this fight at 210 pounds after rehydrating from last night. So had a bit of a size advantage on Robert Whitaker. Definitely had the power advantage on Robert Whitaker. And round three, some people started questioning, was that a 10-8 round? It's debatable. It, 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 it's, it's, it's hard to know. We're in this weird function of these new rules. But it doesn't – look, the, the judges in the commission – had a, had a tough enough time with the old rules. Now you're giving them more stuff to judge. It's hard to rely on them to figure out what is a 10-8. We get to round four. Super close round. Goes back to more of what the first two rounds were, in my opinion. Robert Whitaker was taking on a, a slowed-up Yoel Romero, who was looking like he was biding his time after really flooring it in round three, almost finishing the fight. And by the end of the round, puts Robert Whitaker on his ass again with a big shot. So this is one of those ones where, okay, do you give Robert Whitaker the round because he was more active? He was getting off defense in the midst of this all. Yoel is, by the way, fighting through uh, an eye that's closing up, um, which is just incredible. It, it actually seemed like the eye closing up in the second round was what really set Yoel off of, of being more urgent and, and really being more active with his offense. So four is the swing round for, I think, anybody who, who is looking at this because do you give it to Robert, who I think won the majority of the round, but obviously the impact moment of that round was won by Yoel Romero. It's a swing for, for a lot of people. I gave it to Robert. Um, I, I just thought that, that he earned more of the round, and I don't think we are in this pure boxing sense yet of the 10-8, and, and I thought he, of all the devastating shots, he got up from that one. If Look, if there was more time in the round when he hit that shot, it's possible we're looking at a situation where Yoel finishes it there. So he got a little bit lucky in that regard too. Now we get to round five. Round five was as clear for Yoel as it gets. Dominant, powerful, can't believe Robert Whitaker survived it. And that is one thing that has to be um, put out here is that Robert Whitaker, absolute heart of a champion, couldn't be put away. Every time that he was put on the canvas, turtled up, was able to find a way to defend himself. Yoel really wasn't able to put away 
Robert with with devastating shots. Where I really think that if he was able to pour on the gas, I don't know if it was it was a question of cardio or power or whatnot, or you just give the credit to Robert's defense. Um, Yoel really just wasn't able to find that area to to really really put the exclamation point. And I thought we were at some points where those shots were so bad with what he was hitting Robert Whitaker with. A little bit more from from Yoel, and I think we're 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 talking Dunzo. He's able to win this fight, but. To me, that that round was so dominant, I had to give it to Yoel 10-8. So, in my humble opinion, and I know that this was all over the place, I thought this ended up being a draw. I had a 47-47. I thought that's that's where it should have really gone to. This is one of those ones where, look, if you give it to Robert Whitaker, okay. Okay. I Look, I gave him the majority of the rounds very, very slightly, in that fourth round. Um, I think going back on it, I might be more swayed to give it to Yoel. And I really thought what this fight probably deserved the most was it was for it to be a draw. I'm surprised none of the judges went 10-8 at all for Yoel with as lopsided as two of his wins were in three and five, uh, especially five. I thought, I, I mean, I, I don't know how that's not a 10-8. So I thought it should have been a draw. I thought that's the appropriate ending this fight deserved because, look, the title couldn't change hands anyway. It was going to be... I think the worst thing that could have probably happened for this is for Yoel to go in here and absolutely demolish Robert Whitaker because then you have Yoel Romero with a victory over the standing champion, yet he can't get the belt because he didn't make weight. So... That was a bit of a disaster if the, that the UFC was able to avoid. Because what do you do in that situation? Look, this has only happened twice where a guy has where the where the challenger has missed weight, taken on the champion, and that was back that was back uh, Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva beat his opponent easily. With Yoel, if he's able to beat Robert Whitaker, I don't know where the UFC's left in that regard. It's, it's a really really tough position that they find themselves if Yoel is able to beat Robert. I guess they got to end up fighting again, but now you have this situation where. You know, the champion is the champion, but he didn't win. Um, and this idea of championship weight is weird, too. Like, why are there fights where a guy gets a one-pound allotment and then championship fights they don't? It, it's a it's a quirky rule. I think it's kind of dumb, to be honest with you, um, that, that, they, that a championship can't be decided over two ounces. You know, to me, it should almost be like, you remember when school, it's like round up. Yo, Romero was, was .2, round down. If it was .5, round up. If that's the way you want to roll, but point two, come on, man. I mean, go get a bunch of different scales. You could get, you could, you could go with point. Put them on the public scale. Public scale will tell you whatever you want, man. That thing makes you feel good about yourself. But to me, um, I thought Yoel fought a fight that was worthy of us seeing it again. I want to see this fight again, but it's tough because Robert now has two in the hole. He has two close wins over. Yoel Romero, and it feels like now Yoel has to wait it out until somebody dethrones Robert Whitaker. And there's a couple issues with that. Yoel is 41 years old, um, still a freak, still one of the best on the planet. So it's not that he's not going to be deserving of it, but you do wonder how much more career he has left. Uh, how many more times is he going to be on the doorstep like this? And I can't imagine we're going to promote another Yoel Romero versus Robert Whitaker fight, though. Here's the one difference. You know, let's say the issue that the UFC has at welterweight, not with Colby Covington, we'll get to his performance in a bit, uh, but like with Stephen Thompson, who's 
a, a clear number one contender. It's tough to imagine him getting a fight with Tyron Woodley because those fights sucked. They were boring as hell. And so I don't want to see Tyron take on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson because it doesn't result in an entertaining bout. These guys, every time they step in the cage, it seems like it's going to be something magical. So you can sign me up for Yoel Romero versus Robert Whitaker whenever the hell you want. It's just logistically, now that Robert is 2-0, and I don't know how they're going to do that. It's not like middleweight's the most stacked division in the world, so I guess they could do it between the rest of this division. You know, Chris Weidman's hurt. Kelvin Gastelum, according to Dana White's going through some personal stuff. Uh, Jacques Array's coming off a loss. And Derek Brunson got cleaned up. So, I mean, that's your top seven right there. I don't really know where else you go in regards to this division. You know, Dana was saying, oh, well, Yoel should go up to 205. It's like, well, I guess. But you're going to have Yoel Romero, who's generously given a six-foot me- measurement. He's supposed to go on taking Alexander Gustafson, who's 6'7". I just don't know how that's that's she's supposed to take on a Vulcan Uzdemir or a Glover Deshera. Like these are big, big boys. Maybe you could say down the road you could take a, a Yoel versus a Daniel Cormier. That'd be a hell of a matchup. Size wise, those guys match up a little bit easier. So I could definitely see that being a matchup. Uh two great wrestlers. Uh Yoel's definitely got the power advantage there. But, you know, we know what DC does to guys with some cardio issues. He breaks them. So I do think Yoel's stuck in a bit of a no-man's land here, and it sucks because this is all subjective, and he's no less a fighter or better of a fighter for last night. Uh, he just he continues to give us really, really entertaining fights. It just it does suck that he wasn't able to make weight, and because of that, there is also this empty feeling of, man, when we were getting to that fifth round yesterday, could you imagine if the belt was actually on the line, what that would feel like? Because I was already on the edge of my seat as it was with those guys being incredible, incredible performance by them both. So shout out to Yoel Romero, uh, you know, representing 305 very, very well. Robert Whitaker, also incredible. He, uh, he's a, he's got a, got a lion's heart, man, a real lion's heart. Um, he does seem to have a bit of a durability issue. And it sucks now that he's broken his knee and broken his leg and broken his hand and had staph infection now all in the midst of his title reign. And so this is a weird spot that 185 is at right now, man. Really, really weird. But if he's going to need time to heal up and Kelvin's dealing with some weird stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Wyman's is going to end up getting a title shot because a former champion, uh, he obviously got knocked out by Yoel, but he did beat Kelvin Gastelum. So, I think there's definitely a sell there as far as what could be next for Robert Whitaker. If he's got time to heal up uh, and and Chris has time that he's going to have to heal up, I'd say that's probably the most logistical thing that's going to happen next. Now, that was just one fight. I just spent the entire 14 minutes talking about one fight that was epic last night. There's so much, man, so much that went down last night. We got to get to the interim welterweight title between Colby Covington and Rafael Dos Anjos. Where we stand right now with the 170 division, big, big ramifications there. Huge things happening in boxing yesterday as well. Hopefully, I have time to get to all of it. Fighters Fury rolls on after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, the ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury here, recapping last night, UFC 225. We'll also get to boxing that went down yesterday. Terrence Crawford, fantastic, cementing himself as probably the number one pound for pound plant, uh, fighter boxer on the planet. 
he was tremendous yesterday against Jeff Horn. Uh, also, UFC yesterday announcing that Ronda Rousey will be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame next month. Uh, very cool by the UFC. Obviously deserved. And it was interesting. It was interesting watching this yesterday because we'll talk uh, before we get to the Covington fight. So Holly Holm, she got herself a a very she had the most lopsided. Well, I don't really want to count the CM Punk fight. She had the most lopsided fight on the main card last night with the win over Megan Anderson. She really, really put it on her. Takedowns galore. Um, showed Megan Anderson that this is this is next level. But I thought interesting. I thought this interesting because the narrative for Ronda and her career always was that the sport caught up with her. The sport caught up with her that the competition just got way better. And yet, here we are sitting two years after her 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 last loss. We're talking three years since she lost to Holly Holm. And Holly Holm is the number one contender in two divisions. So we really haven't gotten that deep with the women's division. It was just interesting because that's always been the thing with Ronda. It's like, well, sport passed her by. It's like, no, man, sometimes people just get knocked the bleep out. That happens. And yeah, Ronda's, Ronda striking, did she get a false sense of security? Yes. But I truly believe if Ronda Rousey was still fighting in the UFC, you're telling me she could be a top contender in this sport with Raquel Pennington just fighting for the title? They're dying for it. Now, look. Is she better than Amanda Nunes? Nah, Amanda Nunes probably going to clean her clock every single time. But is she not top three? Is she not top five in the world easily? Of course she is. Come on, man. So that was just always one thing that I found crazy. Did did things get overwhelming with her where people were like, oh, she could be Floyd Mayweather in a fight? Yeah, obviously. I mean, let's we, we, we got a little bit nutty. Everybody got a little bit nutty. We were drinking the Ronda Rousey Kool-Aid. But hey, man, that was a cool phenomenon that the UFC had with her. And this is this is a promotion that said they were never going to have women fight. Now women are main eventing fights. They're always a feature. They put Holly Holm on this main card to boost up because she's always been a huge, huge draw. And so I thought interesting yesterday with 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 Holly getting another big time win for herself. You know she's had a bit of an up and down record ever since beating Ronda Rousey. She had a lot of trouble um, maintaining that superstardom that Ronda was able to have for a long, long run, and. I just found it funny that on the same day she got announced to the Hall of Fame, we are talking about the person who beat her is really the only contender in the two weight classes Ronda would be in, other than the champs. And so I just found it interesting. Like, we're sitting here saying, oh, yeah, there's this huge crop of women that are coming behind. It's like, well, in the smaller divisions, there are. I mean, look at 115, 125. Um, there's a lot of dynamic young ladies who are – um, who I think are still very, very fun to watch. We look at the Rose Nama Unices and the Yana and Jacek's and all the contenders, Claudia Gadelja and Carla Spars that went down yesterday. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's, there's a good crop there, but actually in Ronda's division, in 135, the one she reigned at, Amanda's looking around. It's like, well, thank God Holly went and had that performance yesterday because if she didn't, she's sitting here and looking down the barrel of the only fight she has being a Chris Cyborg fight. And because of Holly's win, now we can really talk about, hey, you know what? Holly versus Amanda is a is a really good fight. We haven't seen it yet, and I probably would like to see that more than Holly taking on Chris Cyborg again because we know how that ended, and, and Holly got turned into Frankenstein from that fight. It was really, really bad. Even though she gave Chris Cyborg the most competitive fight she's ever had, even though she's the only person to go the distance with Chris Cyborg, to me, um, I'd like to see Holly... And a, and a more winnable fight. And I think that would be the Amanda Nunes fight. So I hope that happens. 
Okay, getting to the second title fight from yesterday, the interim welterweight title, Colby Covington versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Colby Covington, who trains down here, uh, really brought up from the roots at American Top Team. This guy is, uh, has been trained down here for a long, long time. He's finally gotten his opportunity after his, uh, his, his win over Damian Maya. Very exciting fight. Put it on Damian Maya. And then, of course, had the infamous Filthy Animals call out in Brazil, which uh, really blew things up. And, you know, ever since then has been talking a ton of trash, spoiling movies, spoiling Star Wars, spoiling Avengers, talking a lot of trash. Some of it seeing ho- hokey and gimmicky, but uh, nonetheless has been effective. Like he really does almost to the point where because he's not as good as the trash talk as Chael or as Conor McGregor seems to almost be bothering his peers more because with Conor, it's like, man, you know, you're part of the grand show. You know that this is going to be epic. You know that this is going to be a, a monster, monster seller. Same thing with Chael. Chael just had this wit about him. And this this salesmanship about him that, you know, it always had this weird, like, kind of, you know, smile to it, especially as it's gone on now. Everybody's kind of just waiting to see what Chael's going to say that's goofy that will uh, will make people almost laugh. But but Colby's had a little bit, bit of a uh, little bit more piss and vinegar to it, man. It's it's had some viciousness to it. And it's really, really bothered his peers. You know, it, you know, Rafael could go out there and he could say that, you know, oh, well, he's just a fake Connor. All right. But. It did bother you, and yesterday was put up for shut-up time for Colby. There's a lot of pressure on a young man who's who's got the spotlight on him, big lights on him, and you don't know how people are going to react to that. And I said on this fight, uh, on this show last week that I wanted to see him win because I want to see where this goes. Uh, it was just a more interesting story to me with Colby Covington winning. It's it's I think better for the sport, and. I just didn't see how he was going to do it. We just hadn't seen it yet. On that championship level against a, against a champion who seemingly had the advantage on the feet, who we thought would have some advantages on the ground with his jiu-jitsu, didn't matter. Colby just went old-fashioned. I'm going to be in your face for 25 minutes. I'm going to break you. And that's what he did. There were, the, the, for, for a guy who has all the talk and the gimmicks, that was the least gimmicky fight you've ever seen to go win themselves a belt. Interim or not, he was in Rafael Dos Anjos' face the entire fight. He went through the line of fire. He took some shots, took some big body blows, walked through it like it was nothing, and really, really just took that title for 25 minutes. I thought it was 4-1. I thought you had an argument it was 5-0. I didn't think that Rafael Dos Anjos really had any moments other than a couple takedowns in, what was it, the third round? And I thought that was graded on a curve for RDA because it's not like he did much with those takedowns. It's just like, oh, look, he actually took down the wrestler. And a lot of the times when you're watching fights, you have these things that are called curve rounds. And what that means is fighters, uh, judges, and fans We'll start grading on a curve. Well, he didn't do as bad that round, so let's give him that round. I thought that's all RDA had for Colby yesterday. I thought that he looked gassed by the end of round two, and Colby was doing enough with his striking, especially with his kicks, um, really kept RDA out of range to really damage him. 
and worked him. Just just absolutely worked him and wilted him that entire fight. And a really, really, really impressive performance by Colby. Now, afterwards, gives Joe Rogan a little kiss on the cheek. Seems like all is good with them. They apparently, you know, Colby had this big apology afterwards. Uh, after uh, his comments that he was going to slap Joe Rogan because Joe said that he only talked his way into a fight, which is true. Look, Kobe did just talk his way into a fight. You can't say that his mouth isn't what got him to this point. He did win. You can't take away credit for the wins. The wins were uh, very impressive, but the the moment everybody started looking at Kobe Covington was when he started blasting off about Brazilians being filthy animals. That that's That's what happened. And he took it straight out of the Chael Sonnen gimmick. Chael Sonnen blasting Brazilians, uh, making jokes, trying to turn a nation against him. It's a, it's a tried and true playbook. Then, you know, he started going with the, uh, what I think has bothered everybody is, well, they're like, well, this isn't as, as crisp. This isn't as, that's hard, man. It's a hard, trust me as somebody who talks for a living. It's hard being on and witty all the time. Try on top of that, you also got to be, a, a a guy who's training for a fight. It's not an easy task for Colby Covington. And especially when you have a lot of new eyeballs that are on you. And especially you think about the era you're in right now where you're graded up against a, an absolute bleep-talking unicorn in Conor McGregor and you don't have an awesome accent to put on top of that. Which, by the way, helps Conor. It does. Sorry, it does. But his performance yesterday, I just thought, what was cool about it was it threw it all to the to the side. He 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 just he went in there and he yeah, all that stuff got eyeballs on him and it worked. By the way, you walked into that 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 fight yesterday. That crowd was booing him. They were booing the hell out of him. Colby sucks chance left and right, getting Colby sucks chance as the fight week was going on. Um, and he's gonna be a polarizing fighter. Look, here's another thing. So he says yesterday that the the other big headline that came out of Colby this week. The, the most controversial thing was he ripped the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Philadelphia Eagles for kneeling during the National Anthem. And he says that he is going to take his belt and put it in the Oval Office and wrap it around Donald Trump's waist. And it is no secret we live in one of the most polarizing political times ever. In, in the long, long time, especially when it comes to uh, our president. And playing in that playground of being on that side of the fence is not something that the UFC really has right now. They don't have the guy who's openly supporting the president and all he stands for and all his politics. And it's going to get a lot of people to hate you. It is. But it's also going to give you a fan base. So I don't think it's bad that the UFC has this kind of a guy playing this character or has these kind of beliefs because we're talking the fight game fight game plays on emotions fight promotions play on emotions and here's the other thing Tyron Woodley comes out yesterday Tyron Woodley is dismissive 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 of Colby Covington oh this guy's got 37,000 followers he's a nobody this isn't doing anything for him and this is a guy in, in Tyron Woodley who's basically been on the sidelines. Yeah, he got shoulder surgery, but has been asking for a Nate Diaz fight and a Conor McGregor fight and a George St. Pierre fight. And God love him. But this is also him coming off some of the most boring title fights you've ever seen in your life. Not exactly everybody is is paying $70 to 
to watch Tyron Woodley right now. That's a hard sell for me. And that's even with the welterweight being a very, very deep division. We talked about this with the Darren Till stuff. It's a deep division. It hasn't been the most exciting division. So with Colby now having, you have the absolute foil, the guy who is now looked upon as the bad guy in this division. Now all of a sudden, Tyron Woodley sees an entire arena full of people booing the hell out of him, chanting Colby sucks. But then as the fight's going on, start chanting for him as well. He has got a reaction. He has gotten those fans to care about what he says, what he feels, and how he acts. And now all of a sudden, Ty Woodley starts chanting about, starts tweeting about dollar signs. Let me get that B. I'm ready to take him out, Dana White. Now all of a sudden, Ty Woodley sees the dollar signs in this and sees what Colby Covington brings to the table. And all of a sudden, the guy who was just the uh, the training partner and wasn't worth the time of day. Now, all of a sudden, Tyron Woodley's looking at, hey, this might be the actual biggest money fight that I can get. Sands a Connor fight. I think a Colby Covington Tyron Woodley fight does bigger than a Tyron Woodley GSP fight. Who the hell cares about that? GSP versus Tyron Woodley? <laughs> no, thank you. Tyron Woodley versus Colby Covington, an actual grudge match that's going to have a lot of stuff built into it. I mean, that, how does that not sign up? That's This is what Tyron Woodley's been waiting for the entire time. And I guess his inactivity is going to pay off because we've now gotten to this point where Colby has been able to rise and get himself a, a gold strap. But it is interesting that he wanted no business with this or no business with any of the actual contenders at welterweight because he felt like he wasn't getting any credit. And because of that, he's not really not the star of the division anymore. Colby Covington is. That's the fact. We're back after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back, guys. Fighters Fury rolls on here. You can text the show 67974. Texter writes in, how many fights away are we from Curtis Blades taking on Stipe Miocic? I got to think that's next. I got to think that's next. He had, you want to talk about a guy who deserved to be on the main card yesterday instead of being replaced by CM Punk versus Mike Jackson. It was Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades was such a breakout star from yesterday because the big question on him was, is he just a one-trick pony? Is he just takedowns? You know, can he be any kind of elite fighter without showing some capabilities of striking and finishing fights with strikes? And he blew up Alistair Overeem. Literally blew up his face. Because this third round, First of all, he looked tremendous on the feet. Looked great. And that's being with an all-time striker in Alistair Overeem. And he seemingly could take down anybody he wants at will, which already make, which automatically makes you a danger, especially at heavyweight if you can grind people out. Um, and what he did to Alistair Overeem, I mean, he hit him with these elbows. It was, it was, it was like he turned out – it's like Alistair Overeem's face – was a ketchup packet, and he just dropped a bowling ball on it, and that's that's what the red was like. It was it was something wild. Like obviously, we watch fights, and a lot of the times when cuts happen, you don't necessarily notice. Like they're kind of like, oh, your face turns, and you're like, oh, oh, he's cut. And you know, sometimes the announcers will pick it up faster than fans do. 
This was camera angle from above, Curtis Blades throwing elbows right down on Alistair Overeem's face, red, crimson mask all over. And it was it was a very, very impressive showing by Curtis Blades yesterday. And Reem was two. He was number two. I can't imagine Curtis Blades isn't going to be the number two guy in the world. He did lose to Francis Ngannou, who's ranked above him. But Francis fought Stipe, and Stipe dominated that ass. So can't imagine we're going to get Francis Ngannou fighting Stipe anytime soon. Now, if Curtis Blades is able to beat Stipe, well, then you got yourself a good championship matchup for Francis. I got to imagine, though, when St- if Stipe ends up losing to... If he ends up losing to Curtis Blades, I'm assuming that he beats DC, which I don't think is an easy task, but let's just do it for argument's sake right now. Stipe gets past DC, fights Curtis Blades sometime in December, let's say. If Curtis Blades is able to beat him, Stipe obviously gets an automatic rematch. He's the longest reigning heavyweight champion of all time. Let's say, though, he can't. Let's say he can't fight anytime soon. Yeah, you got you got yourselves a nice little matchup there between Curtis and Francis, who have a, um, who have, uh, who have a fight in the past. Francis won that fight. Curtis, you could say, is a uh, is a is a better fighter since they last fought, and and um, I think we will uh, will have a better idea of both of them going into that fight. I think it, I think it'd be a really big fight, actually, for the heavyweight division. Um, let's hit, let's hit some boxing before we get back because there are some UFC news and notes that I want to get to. Uh, so much to cover from yesterday. Tyson Fury made his return yesterday. Fought Sefer Sefery. And this fight was a disgrace. It really was terrible. I'm not I'm not gonna mince words with it. We knew it was though. Look, when Tyson Fury came out, or his promoter came out, Frank Warren, who just looks like the most buttoned up wanker I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he is a he is a real, real bastard. I just I mean, he looks of stodgy old British promoter, if I've ever seen one. He is so uptight. He looks like he would enjoy being a guard at Buckingham Palace. He looks like he would make Queen Elizabeth look like a fun time. I mean, it is, he is so stodgy. He looks like just the most buttoned up Mr. Popper. It is really, really weird watching him. Either way, he set up Tyson Fury with this comeback fight, fighting this dude, Sefer Sefer, who is a good foot smaller than Tyson Fury. Really, really small. He's also a cruiserweight. These boys also hugged at the weigh-ins, and then Tyson Fury picked up Sefer Sefri like he was a baby, or as if they just got married and he was carrying him across the threshold. Then we get to the middle of the ring, and Tyson Fury plants a big old smooch right on Sefer Sefri's face. And on top of that was the most contact we had in the entire fight. Because Tyson Fury looked like a drugged-up grizzly bear stomping around that ring, trying to catch him Sefer Sefery. Sefer Sefery never threw a body shot. He kept trying to climb a ladder to hit Tyson Fury's head. They stopped after four rounds, which was the clear payoff that Sefery took. Look, I'm going to go to this corner after four rounds, and we done. Because, look, he wasn't touching Tyson Fury, but it wasn't like Tyson Fury was hurting the hell out of him. Hit him with a couple uppercuts right in a row, but hey, man. It was not something where you're just like, oh, that's painful. It was a terrible fight, man. And no wonder why. No wonder why Tyson Fury wants no part of Shannon the Cannon Briggs. I, it's all clear to me now. First of all, 
I think he's wearing a girdle when he's on these Instagram videos because he looked a lot fatter in that ring. I'll tell you what. I don't know if he hit the pub in fight week or what, or he got cocky or was feeling himself. He thought it was cheat week because he was feeling all froggy. But my man looked big, big and slow, big and slow in this fight. No wonder he didn't want Shannon going for broke on those ribs because Seffrey didn't even try. I mean, I don't know how you didn't look at that belly as a big old bullseye, Seffrey. I don't know what you were doing, man. But I guess you were just too bedazzled by the uh, the glorious kiss that you got to start this fight. It was like the frog and the prince, man. It was weird. Um, So Tyson Fury's fighting again in August. He's fighting on the Frampton card. It's apparently going to be uh, his next fight. I, I can't imagine that's going to be against some challenge if, if he's fighting on that quick a turnaround. But holy hell, that sucked, man. That was a terrible fight. For, for, for Return of the Mac... Like, for all the personality Tyson Fury has, it was good seeing him back in the ring, and it was good seeing him smiling and healthy and together with it. But, man, that was such a disappointing comeback fight. Just as far as not even a challenge, not even like he was trying to win. It's just like, hey, here's Tyson Fury. It was almost like it was like Rocky versus Thunderlips. Like, it was such an exhibition. It was gross. Sucked. Um, Tyson, uh, Terrence Crawford. What a performance by him yesterday against Jeff Horn. And I don't know if there's a guy I've rooted against harder than Jeff Horn in a long time. Maybe because that's a, I'm a huge homer for Manny Pacquiao. I love Manny Pacquiao. He got jobbed so hard against Jeff Horn. It was ridiculous. And the worst part about it, this is what I hate most when a guy gets one over. They, they absolutely ignore it. They're just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He beat Manny Pacquiao. He came back in that 10th round, and he blistered him. And so... They go back to this, and they're just like, oh, I'm going to stop the fight. You got to show me something. And his show me something was Miss Manny Pacquiao with all these shots. And look, it's on Pacquiao in that fight because that's been his MO. He beats a guy. He knows he has him soundly beat, and then he lets up. He doesn't want to hurt him. That's just that's old Pacquiao. That's what he's been. But Jeff Horn didn't win that fight. He hit 18% of his shots in that fight. It was a garbage performance. It was, it was such Australian home cooking. It was nonsense. And he's not even in the same stratosphere as Terrence Crawford. And Terrence Crawford showed that yesterday. Terrence Crawford is now WBO welterweight champion. He looks like a real problem for the rest of the welterweight division. Terrence Crawford is the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter on the planet. And we talked about this with Vasily Lomachenko. And it made an important distinction with Vasily and with Terrence. Vasily Lomachenko right now is the most exciting fighter on the planet to watch. There's no doubt. I think what he does in the ring, the showmanship that he has, the different kind of angles he has is outstanding. I love watching it. But this guy's the best right now to me. This guy's the best. He goes in there, the 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 the, the precision that he hits you with, on top of the, the, the violence that he comes with, with those shots. Terrence Crawford's number one to me, bar none, on the planet. He is so crisp, hits from both sides, can switch stances, does it all. He doesn't have a weakness right now. And this is his first fight at welterweight against this supposed Jeff Horn who was, you know, look, just nonstop whining from their camp all week. Oh, the the scales are rigged. Oh, the, the ref, he's not going to let us hold. Yeah, you know what? Guess what, Jeff Horn? This isn't mixed martial arts. This isn't even the bare-knuckle brawling that we had last week in Wyoming where you can hit while holding. Sorry. Sorry you can't do your rough-and-tumble nonsense and act like you're hitting somebody when you're actually not. 
just so much belly aching. This is coming from a guy, by the way, who loves Australians. He's my least favorite Australian. I'm just putting it out there. He is. Jeff Horn, least favorite Australian. I love the Australians. I love Ty Tuivasa, by the way, with a big win over Andre Olovsky yesterday. Very close fight. Andre Olovsky looked fantastic. He really did. I was impressed by him. And Ty Tuivasa, broken nose, gushing blood, drinks the shoey after the win. Really, really fantastic. But, man, this Jeff Horn, like, they're, they're just like, oh, my God, they, the performance that he put on against Manny Pacquiao. I'm like, he didn't put on a performance against Manny Pacquiao. He got his ass kicked. He whiffed. He's a big whiffer. He's a big, big whiffer. And Terrence Crawford took that ass to school yesterday. I can't wait to see what's next for Terrence Crawford. Between Terrence Crawford, Vasily Lomachenko, Errol Spence, man, it's just a really, really fun time to be a boxing fan with all the, with all the young up-and-comers that they got. It really is. So, that was great to see. I'll close today with this. So, yesterday we had CM Punk's second UFC fight. It was a disgrace. It was quite terrible. And, yes, CM Punk showed a, a, a lot of heart. He showed that he is he's really great at taking punches. And I actually thought, round one, because Mike Jackson uh, thought that he was Anderson Silva... <laughs> With the way he was doing with with uh, with Punk, actually getting pushed up against the cage and and taken down, I think you could argue that round one was for CM Punk. It was not like those those punches were stopping Punk, but that's how bad that performance was by Mike Jackson yesterday. I don't want to see those guys fight again. I don't. Mike Mike Jackson talks a lot of bleep, by the way, for a guy who's not very good. And I guess props to him for getting a win in the UFC against CM Punk, who's not a UFC fighter, not a regional fighter. He's not good, man. Not a good fighter. And he shouldn't be doing this anymore. Because anytime he's in there with somebody who's competent at throwing punches, he's going to get hurt. And he's going to get hurt bad. Um, when the UFC made this move in 2014 to bring him in, I was on top of the circus. But you also got to remember that Punk was the hottest thing in professional wrestling. He's now been away from wrestling for five years now. And is 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 not proud of his wrestling career he likes to distance himself from it and just just you know it, it, it comes off all as very sour with the fans that are I assume tuning in to watch him and support him and he did get a big pop from his hometown crowd and he'll always be a wrestling legend but man he shouldn't be fighting obviously and the fact that that was on with, with all that went down yesterday I don't know how much that is going to help when the buy rate comes out that CM Punk was on this I don't think it's going to help nearly as much as the first time, which was a huge step down of what it was when they initially signed him. But CM Punk being on that main event with all the greatness that was on that card yesterday, with all the fun that we had, really sucked. It it, it really is a joke of a footnote that was put on the card. And yeah, you know what? A lot of people say, hey, Punk showed heart. You know, Punk is... uh, you know, like the man, way to show, way to show big, uh, big cojones out there, punk. Look, to me, it all, it all reeked of guy got a big fat check. This is where he can make his money right now. He was in a lawsuit with the WWE and can't be professionally wrestling right now. Bitter towards the business. This is how he's going to make his money. Guy's got to make money. If he's able to get money this way, good for him. But to, to think that he's in the caliber 
of people who are on even the Fight Pass prelims or even on the Fight Pass prelims for next week in Singapore is is pretty troubling. So I hope he's done. I hope Bellator doesn't swoop in and get him. I hope uh, Professional Fight League doesn't. I hope XFN locally doesn't pick him up. Don't do it, boys. Don't do that. Titan FC, don't do it. Because he shouldn't be doing it. He's 40. He's, he's a man. He's 40. He shouldn't be doing this. It's dangerous. Dangerous for him to be doing this. Taking ass kickings by anybody who can throw a one-two. Don't do it, punk. It was cool. Got to live the dream. We're all along for, for the ride. Got a little bit boring by the end of it. I got to be honest with you. And we can move on now. There's, other, there's, there's brighter pastures ahead for us. All right, guys, welcome back. I just want to hit a couple things before we get out of here because Dana White made some comments afterwards. Didn't really get into much of what he had to say uh, in the post-fight. Pre- a lot of, there was a lot of guys missing from the post-fight press conferences. Uh, Kobe Covington and Mike Bisbing got into it um, on the Fox post-game show. It was pretty entertaining. But, um, yeah, Yoel, Robert Whitaker, both of them got sent to the ER. Uh, Esparza, I think, got sent to the ER. Claudia Gadelli got sent to the ER. Punk got sent to the ER. There was one weird thing I want to mention before we move on from the punk thing. There was this weird moment. Joe Rogan had a weird day yesterday, um, and I love Joe Rogan. I love his podcast. He's obviously a, a staple of the sport, but he had a weird day yesterday. And then he was going to talk to CM Punk, like he's like, uh, you know, as he's really busting on the entire fight. But he was going to talk to CM Punk, and then he's like, Phil, I want to talk to you too, as Punk was walking away from the Mike Jackson thing. You know, and uh, and Mike Jackson was basking in all his uh, his ugh, glory. Um, but then, like, Punk said, I'm not doing it, and just walked away. And he ended up not doing any media yesterday at all, which was strange. Uh, the only thing we got from Punk yesterday was a tweet where he's like, you win some, you lose some, I'm one and one this week, and I'll take it. Because he's referring to his, his court hearing. Thanks to my team, family, friends, and the fans. Wouldn't be here without any of you. Respect to Mike Jackson. Thanks for the fight. You only live once, and I am alive. So, like I was saying last segment, good for him. He gets to do it. Uh, but that was weird. That was a weird ending. And Dana White says that he hopes he, he wrapped it up. <laughs> like This is the only weird thing I found. Because I didn't think Mike Jackson was great yesterday by any stretch. And I thought, I thought by comparison, he, was, he looked fantastic. But by comparison, what was he looking fantastic to? Dana White, though, I, I he took a sledgehammer to Mike Jackson. He's just like, this guy's never going to fight again. It almost felt like Dana White was, he had nobody to rip yesterday because it was one of those strange press conferences. It's hard to watch a Dana White press conference these days because dude can't hear. He's gotta, you got to repeat everything to him and... Um, you know, and it's all one word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he just, like, I don't know. But, um, but he, like, he needed somebody to rip. And so he took a flamethrower to Mike Jackson saying he's never going to fight in the UFC again. And that was interesting. The only other interesting thing, a couple of interesting things that were, uh, that came out of the Dana White press conference is where he, he is going to get Colby Covington to the white house. He's obviously boys with Dana, with Donald Trump did the, um, did the Republican national convention spoke for Trump. So that's going to be interesting, man. When Colby Covington, uh, gets that, I mean, that's going to get a lot of people, uh, against him, but that's going to make Colby Covington a, a very, very polarizing figure, which is going to make him a ton of cash when it comes to being a draw. I'm telling you. So I know people look, there's going to be a lot of people that are pissed off at things that he says, and there's going to be a lot of people that are, uh, he doesn't care, man. Like he, 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 he knew that he needed to stand out in some way. And if you're willing to be on this side of the sandbox, 
he is and he's it's 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 going to fill his uh, his bank account man as long as he can win or be competitive people are going to care about watching him fight um data white also pointed out that rashad evans is likely done and i and i and i hope that he is i don't like retiring fighters i i, I think it's a a thing we do too often because of you know we almost feel guilty about watching the destruction and the carnage but we don't think about the work that they put into it and how much they care about it and what else are they supposed to do with rashad this is a guy who was an all-time great a champion with such skills man like skills that nobody could stand with and you know now it just seems like he's a sitting duck when he goes out there so that's why with with rashad i just want to see him because it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like with like with andre olovsky right Andre Olovsky, perfect example yesterday. Andre Olovsky would have his runs where, you know, you would touch that chin and it was almost like Seema says this, like a button, boop, down. But Andre Olovsky has also had fights where you have seen the, the, the pit bull come back and it is just it's hard to put away. And with Rashad, it just feels like when any type of fire comes his way he just can't stand with it anymore and uh it just doesn't seem like he has the reaction time anymore man like that that knee that he got hit with he shouldn't have gotten hit with that yesterday so if he is done if Rashad Evans is done he's been trained down here uh for a long time now obviously a huge part of the Black Zillions now trains at Hard Knocks 305 where when the Black Zillions kind of broke up because Rashad was really the leader of that stuff um first of all locally Huge, huge deal, Rashad Evans, with all the guys that he trains with, all the work that he puts in. Uh, he's an absolute monster. He's an absolute monster and a legend. And if that is it for Rashad Evans, uh, thank you for everything that you've put forth for us as a as a fan base and as people who follow the sport. You're you're an absolute monster, Rashad Evans. And nothing but respect to you. Great mind of the sport too. Oh, just just love having Rashad Evans on and, and getting to hear him talk about fights, see him pass that knowledge through. Um, really great dude. Really, really great dude. So we'll see what happens at that. Um, Dana White also, these are the, the, the last two things I want to mention. Dana White is firm that we are going to 4 o'clock weigh-ins, 4 p.m. And this was a big, big debate amongst media this past week because they were pulling a lot of guys, a lot of fighters came out and says, no, 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 we want morning weigh-ins. Guys who miss weight are gonna miss weight, and I get what they're saying. Look, it is a it is annoying being a person in a profession who does everything right, or tries to be professional, or doesn't skate, or doesn't try and milk the system. And it's annoying to see people who do get success. I'll speak it from personal experience. That's not fighting. I don't even know what that's got to be like. Because imagine you got to go punch somebody in the face, knowing that they're skating the system. I'm talking about gas bagging and talking bleep. But as a person who feels like he's tried to do all the right things professionally, without gaming the system, without whining, without trying to get little advantages here or there. Maybe I should, because I'd probably be further along than I am. Um I can really, really empathize from that standpoint with these guys who are annoyed that they got to change the system for the people who don't follow the rules or don't hold up their end of the bargain. That's annoying, man. That's really, really annoying. I get it. However, 
as a fan of the sport, I want these fights to have the most at stake as possible. I don't want title fights being compromised. And with these early weigh-ins, the numbers don't lie. And I'm not trying to play Johnny Scientist or do bro science on everybody, but what am I supposed to do with the numbers that say a little over 20 fighters in the two years before the weigh-ins missed weight? When they went to early weigh-ins, were we at 65 now? 65 fighters have missed weight? What am I supposed to do with those numbers? So I can have the 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 great reporters of this sport, Brad Okamoto's, the Ariel Helwani's, the Mark Ramondi's, the Luke Thomas's, talk to the fighters who follow the rules. A lot of us who are professionals... In any asset, in any aspect of life, who follow the rules, follow the rules. They'll adjust, man. If something happens that sucks here and isn't the greatest, but that's what our company dictates, we do it. And there's others who will put up more of a stink about it, and they'll even skate with it. And that's annoying. I imagine that's got to be the way for the fighters, for the Eddie Alvarez's, who never miss weight. For the wrestlers, who never miss weight. It's got to be irritating. But the fights have to go on, and they have to go on with as much stakes as possible. And so you unfortunately have to cater to the people who suck at this. That's just what it is. And if they, the people who suck at it prefer the late weigh-ins, then you got to go with that man. I don't really want to hear from the people who are rule followers because they're going to follow the rules. And does it suck for them? Yeah, it sucks for them. But ultimately, I want the most competitive fights. I don't really care about who's the best at following rules. I want to see the fights with the most stakes, with the most on the line. And I know people give Dana White a hard time with, oh, they're talking to doctors or what do they know? If I'm Dana White and I run a business... And I've switched to assist. I gave it a try. I listened to the doctors. I gave it a shot. He did. Can't say that the UFC does didn't give this a shot. And they get and the, and they got to this point and triple the amount of fighters missed weight. Triple. How how is that a not how is that not enough evidence that you should go back to the way it was? I, I feel like that should be a, 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 does the number have to be 100? Does it have to be, do we have to wait till the number hits 200? Like, I think there's clearly a problem because it's annoying that every card I tune into as a fan, I got to follow on Twitter, you know, around noon <laughs> every Friday to see if these guys are going to make weight. And it didn't feel like this was as big a problem in years past. So, yeah, man. To me, I think uh, I think they should go back to the old weigh-ins. Uh, the numbers don't lie, and eventually we'll get this stuff more perfect, and maybe they'll make more weight classes. But I've been through that too. I think I think the more weight classes, I think, just gives more people more opportunities to game the system, and also it feels like with these windows that the guys are getting. Um, it feels like they are 
feels like with the windows these guys are getting, the commissions aren't allowing them to, to, to fill through. Here's the other thing, too. You know, I know this this is for rehydration and the health of the fighters. That was reportedly the argument for doing this, giving them more time to get back to themselves. But if you do weight cut correctly and you're not trying to do the uh, the gimmick of like remember that that Megan Anderson she was like oh lost 30 pounds this week and it's like well she looked like she looked like absolute dog bleep against Holly Holm and it's like maybe you shouldn't try and lose 30 pounds in a week maybe that's not the best strategy but she still got all this time to rehydrate back to that crazy amount of weight it's probably better and it, that people that miss weight have less time to rehydrate so they don't have as much of an advantage. That's the thing that sucks. It's like, yo, Romero misses weight, but he's still got all this time to rehydrate to 210. And that was bad news for Robert Whitaker. It probably would have been more to Yoel's detriment, which it should be missing weight if he had less time to rehydrate. So it's a debate that I'm sure is going to rage on. And I get the fighters who are annoyed that they have to switch back to an old system after they figured out a new system. Unfortunately, in life, a lot of the times, the rules aren't made for the ones who follow it. They're not. Think about that. How many, how many times in life do we say, you know what? People seem to be listening to this. We should make that the rule. Nah, man. That's not how it rolls. Anyway. Uh, any other notes? Let me see. I always like to make sure I get all my notes out of the way. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, didn't mention Showtime boxing last night. Uh, Jermel Charlo defeated Austin Trout by majority decision. Don't understand how somebody could have that a draw, uh, but I love the Charlo twins, man. And Austin Trout is an absolute gamer. The dude's a warrior. Jermel Charlo also coming to the ring dressed like a lion, which is cool. Um, but I love the Charlo twins, man. I think they really have an opportunity to be big, big stars in this in this sport. I think it's a fun, fun thing with those guys. Great personalities, obviously a cool look, and they're twins, which is pfft, sells itself, does it not? And Leo Santa Cruz defeated Abner Maras, unanimous decision. Um, agree with the decision, and you know those guys always make for a fun fight. They always do. They throw a ton of punches, and we'll see what uh, comes from that in regards to uh, where Leo Santa Cruz goes from here. Uh, but that went down yesterday. Oh, and Don Cerrone's taking on Leon Edwards next week at UFC Singapore. Really hope Cowboy gets a win. Um, I, is this the first one since Darren Till? I think it is the first fight since Darren Till. So it's been a while since we've seen Cowboy. Cowboy's the fight pass guy now, huh? That's crazy to me. Think about it. Rashad Evans, Don Cerrone on fight pass. Fight pass is going away. I set up for ESPN Plus yesterday, by the way, for the Terrence Crawford, uh, Terrence Crawford, Jeff Horn fight. So count me in for that one. And Ovin St. Prutice and Pedro is a good fight. Uh, I'm going to go with OSP. OSP with the uh, the Von the Von Pru choke. I'll say he'll win by his signature. Um, but Tyson Pedro, cool dude. I recommend if you guys want to learn more about Tatui Vasu, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite fighters after joining us this week on uh, Tobin Leroy and Beast. Uh, read Tyson Pedro's journal. He's got a journal with the sporting news right now going through his fight camp. It's really, really cool. Oh, one more thing before we get out of here. Next week, we're going to be joined on the show by Harold Calderon, King Harold Calderon. Uh, he is fighting in the main event July 6th at the Hard Rock Event Center. Uh, Heavyweight Factory is bringing back another card, 
And Harold Calderon is a local fighter from down here in Miami. And it really means uh, this is kind of the next wave of this show. I really, really want to have a big tie to all the guys who are down here because I don't think our community gets enough credit for being a fight city. And this guy's from Miami. This guy is Miami. And looking forward to hearing his story next week on Fighters Fury. So you guys should check that out. He's going to be in the main event at the Hard Rock Event Center July 6th. Heavyweight Factory is putting on another fight. And I think you guys will like hearing from him. All right, that's enough. Now I'm out of here. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.